There's a poem by John Donne, and it's called Love's Growth. And one of the ending lines here, I'm going to go ahead and read it to you, um, describes a love between a man and a woman as a force that overpowers even the worst winters. A love that turns cold, hard ground into fruitful earth with the fresh heat of new spring. So let me go ahead and read those couple of lines here. He says, And though each spring do add to love new heat, as princes do in time of action get new taxes, and remit them not in peace, no winter shall abate the spring's increase. So he says, No winter shall abate the spring's increase. Now I'm sure we've seen those time-lapse videos before on nature productions or nature movies, where the snow-covered ground over time, when it's being beaten down by the new seasons, uh, melts away, the permafrost kind of goes away, and this new life springs up from the ground with fruits and flowers and bugs all start to come alive again. It's almost as if the earth is awakening from sleep or a death. And love can do the same thing to someone's heart. And we often don't talk about this kind of thing in our culture, especially, it especially makes men uncomfortable. We don't like that, uh, that lovesick type of language. So we often don't speak that way, but the Bible speaks often in this language, specifically of the love between a man and a woman. The man draws her heart from death to life in his loving words toward her. He woos her with his speech. And when he does, when he woos her, joy and song are usually not far behind. We see this in fairy tale stories or even Disney movies. In verse 10 of chapter 2, Solomon calls for the Shulamite woman to rise up and come away with him. He calls for her to awaken from sleep. The winter has passed, the rain is over and gone and invites her to hear the song of the dove, and to see and smell the fruit of the vines that are ready for the plucking. And our Lord Jesus calls his church in a similar way to himself. He calls his people to rise up, to awaken, to draw near, because death is past, the, the rains are gone, the spring of new life is here, and this is what we call, in theological terms, regeneration, or recreation. And our confession, the confession that our church holds to, says it this way, we believe that this true faith, being wrought in man by the hearing of the word of God and the operation of the Holy Ghost, doth regenerate and make him a new man, causing him to live a new life and freeing him from the bondage of sin. And when Jesus raises Lazarus from the grave, he calls to him, Lazarus, come forth. And it's by the word that Lazarus is raised from the grave. Solomon, representing Jesus, awakens his bride from the death of winter. And she, having passed through the water, waters of death, the rains of death, is brought into newness of life. But she's brought to something particular. She's brought to something particular. She is brought to the song of the dove. And she's also brought to an earth that's full of fruit. 
She was once in bondage to the grave, but having been set free, she was welcomed into the pure song of her absolution, her freedom. And likewise, the church is brought from the watery, cold grave of sin and death into the song of forgiveness and absolution found in Christ's kingdom. So verse 10 and 11 say this, My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. And Jesus told us in John chapter 5, verse 24, he says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. And Jesus' very words grant that life from death. And just like in the creation of the heavens and the earth in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the Word of God, God speaks and creation is made, the Word of God, Jesus, is spoken. And the cold, watery void is formed into something glorious. And this is all done by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. And likewise, the Bride of Christ hears God's Son, the Word of God, and is brought forth from the bondage of sin and death by His Spirit. She goes from formlessness to new creation. The church is awakened by the Word of her husband. And this bondage to sin and death that we are awakened from is represented by winter and rain in Solomon's Song. Now, winter in the Bible, there's not a whole whole bunch of uh, words that coincide with winter. But one thing that is throughout Scripture, one image, is snow, which obviously happens during the winter. And snow, a product of winter, is associated with leprosy in the Old Covenant. Numbers chapter 12, verse 10, Miriam became leprous. She became white as snow. Or it's associated with purity. Think of Psalm 51, where David asked God to be washed whiter than snow. In both uses, the obvious thing that's connected to those is water, washing. The lepers needed to be cleansed of their disease to be able to draw near to God in temple worship. David needed his life and conscience cleansed, washed whiter than snow, in order for God to hear his prayers. Because David was leprous with sin. But water alone cannot wash away sins. We must hear the word of God and receive him in faith. And he who hears Jesus' word and believes passes from death to life. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, that having been justified, having been set free from sin, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And just a chapter later, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And this is also accomplished by the word of God, which is given to us. Given to us. After all, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10. And the church, indeed, has heard that word. The church has heard Jesus Christ. And the church has believed. 
And we have been united to this bride, to this glorious church, by being raised from the watery grave of baptism and brought into the newness of life by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is what regeneration is. Simply being brought from death to life. Verse 12 says, The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. So the Shulamite is brought from winter and rain to new life. But this new life isn't just any other life. The Shulamite is brought into joy and hope. Verse 12 is when the church receives her absolution, her forgiveness of sins. The sweetness of forgiveness is experienced in verse 12. The Shulamite is brought from winter to spring, the flowers pop up, the doves sing over the land, and it's time for her to join in that song. True forgiveness and new life bring joy and song. And this is why you can see this throughout the scriptures with Adam. Adam was in the garden, and Eve was made from his side. What is the first thing that Adam does when he sees his wife? Well, in the Hebrew Scriptures, it's actually a song that he sings. He sings, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. When he sees his wife, he sings. When Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea and received deliverance from their enemies, what did they do? They sang the song of Moses and the song of Miriam. When the Ark of the Covenant was restored back to Jerusalem, David led a procession in song back to the temple. When God speaks, when He acts in the world, and His speech is always efficacious, meaning He always does something, when He acts in the world through His speech, the church responds in song. And this is by design. This is by design, natural design. Paul says that a woman is the glory of the man in 1 Corinthians 11. And this means that the bride of Christ is the glory of Jesus. Because marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Now, why is this important? Well, song, in the same way, is the glory of speech. The glory of word. When you sing, think about it. When you sing, you make, you make the words longer. You elongate them. You make them melodious. You make them beautiful. Speech made beautiful is song. Glorified speech is song. So singing, you could say is the feminine form of speech. And you can see this throughout, uh, throughout history. In ancient, ancient Greek myth, the song of a woman was considered one of the most beautiful things to hear. It tempts man. You can see this even in early modern literature, and even cartoons. I mentioned earlier Disney movies. When women sing, it, it changes a man's desire. And everyone knows this to be true. Women in song go together. And maybe you've seen this in your own home. I know that my wife tends to sing a lot more than I do. And it's in her nature. She can't help it, and I love it. I love hearing it. There's something different about it. And this is one reason, one of many reasons, why Paul commands the church to sing songs, to sing hymns and spiritual songs to one another. This is the natural response of the church when the word of God has been received by faith. Paul says in Colossians, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms 
and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So singing is a response to the grace of God that we receive. It's a sign of gratitude and evidence of the Spirit. So Solomon's saying the time of singing has come for those brought into this new life, in this new kingdom. Those who have been forgiven are called to join in spiritual song, the song of the dove, to glorify the word of God in everything we do. And what do we do when we hear the words, lift up your heads and hear the good news in our liturgy? What did you do this morning? We responded in song. We respond in gratitude and joy for what Christ has done for us. He's forgiven us, and we want to give thanks for that. New life in Christ means joy and gratitude. To be filled with song is to be filled with the Spirit. And Paul says again in Ephesians chapter 5, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We respond this way, being filled with this joy of the Spirit because of the work Christ has done on our behalf. So we should be joyful, we should be assured. We should be assured because we have been brought into this new kingdom and our King Jesus has spoken to us. He has told us to arise from our sleep and to look around, to look at what He offers us. He offers us forgiveness, rest, peace, joy, assurance, protection, wisdom. In His love for us, He offers us a life unstained from the world. Verse 13 says, The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes. Give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. So he bookends this song with rise up again. In addition to this new life of joy and song is a land full of good fruit for us to eat. Solomon invites his love to look at the trees, look at the fig trees, look how fruitful they are, how they produce fruit. And he invites her to enjoy them. He points to the fig tree and the green leaves on the tree, this, this healthy, fruitful tree, and to the vines with ripened grapes ready for the pluck. In Jesus' cursing of the fig tree in Matthew 21, a fruitless fig tree was associated with the unfaithfulness of Israel. It was a tree that didn't bear any fruit. And in this new land that Solomon is calling his love to, the fig trees of faithfulness never waver. And she's able to pluck the fruits of faith as often as she'd like. And this is the fruit of the Word of God. The fruit of the Word found in the kingdom of God. And you've been, you've been brought to a land flowing with milk and honey. A land that's fruitful. And that's the church. This fruitful land a land that's no, not barren in any way. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land with fig trees and fruitful vines. In, in other words, Solomon's pointing us to, to, to something that's really true for us in the Christian age. And that's there's no reason to doubt. 
There's no reason to doubt your salvation. Your Lord has given you all you need to sustain your faith. So take and eat as you need. And more than figs, the Shulamite is invited to smell the ripe and tender grapes of the vine. And we've seen this image of vineyards before, after water and death and even doves. We go back to the story of Noah and Noah's vineyard that he planted after this new creation was founded. Noah planted a vineyard and rested with wine after the flood in Genesis chapter 9. The Shulamite is invited to join the song of joy, to eat of the fruit of faith, and now to rest. To rest from her work, from her labors in this new land. And grapes in, in the wisdom literature, and that's where Psalm Solomon is located, the wisdom passages of the Old Testament. And grapes are often associated with wine, which is a kingly drink. It's a drink that takes wisdom to enjoy. It's a, it's a drink that rests you. It's a drink that also judges. We see that in the book of Revelation. So from David to Solomon to Jesus, wine is associated with rest and judgment. And here the Shulamite is offered rest. She's offered rest with these ripened grapes ready for her in her king's new land with the smell of these grapes. And in a similar way, we too will be offered the sweet, ripened grapes of the, the vineyard of the new kingdom in just a few minutes. True rest and comfort are found in the blood of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that the cup of blessing that we will drink from at this table in front of us is the blood of the new covenant that was shed for us. We also know from Paul that peace, or the author of Hebrews, that peace is found in the shedding of his blood. And so our king calls his bride to partake of that peace each and every week. The forgiveness of Jesus Christ grants joy, faith, and peace. And rather, being, rather than being drunk with wine, as Noah, Noah was, and as Paul warns about in Ephesians chapter 5, Jesus invites us to be filled with his Spirit, to join in the song of our absolution, the song of forgiveness that is offered to him in grace and thanksgiving. It is the church's duty to glorify the word of the Lord. We receive this word, and it's our duty to return it back to Him, to give it back to Him in a glorified manner, to offer our thanks and gratitude. So remember that you're part of something bigger, something bigger than yourself, bigger than your sins. You have been united to the bride of Christ. You have been washed of your sins. You have been given a new life in Jesus' kingdom. You have been invited to participate in the song, Joy and Hope, of this new life. And this is what forgiveness looks like. This is what it means to be absolved of all your sins. This is the promise of everlasting life in the kingdom of God. Joy and hope in forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Now, doubts and insecurities, doubts and, uh, and unsureness will pop up in your mind throughout your life. It may even happen this week. It happens often. An assurance of salvation 
may be something that seems unattainable to you. You don't think that that's something that you could ever possess. Assurance and rest in Christ's finished work for you. But that's kind of the point. It is unattainable. It's unattainable on your own. You were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. But Christ Jesus has made you alive together with Him. He has called you. He says, rise up. Come away with me. He has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He has awakened you like Solomon woke his bride and has invited you to joy and rest in His kingdom. He has given you the church to show you this truth. He's given you symbols to remind you of these truths. So when you lack belief, remember what the word of the Lord says to you. Remember what our Lord has said to you. Remember the gracious works of our Savior. Remember the words, rise up, my love. So there's no reason to doubt. For our Lord has given you all you need. He has planted row after row of fig tree. And each one is full of faith, ready for the plucking. All you must do is enjoy it. That's all you must do. All you must do is look to Christ and believe what He has spoken to you. Take the words that He has spoken to you and turn them back to Him. Turn them back to Him in song and in gratitude. And we need to take these words and also turn them back to one another. We need to sing with one another, sing to and with each other, in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Teach and admonish one another. Be a source of joy and rest for, for each one next to you. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father for you. Our lives should be noticeably full of song, full of gratitude. And our gratitude for our salvation should always be falling from our lips. You were blind, but now see. You were mute, but now sing. So don't give into despair. Don't let ingratitude take over. And this is partly why, uh, partly what the worship of the church is for. To reorient you back to the grace of God, to show you what the Lord has done for you, and for you to respond in gratitude. To mortify that ingratitude in your confession of sin. So we should be sharing the song of absolution, this new song of life with each, with each other in all that we do. Show each other gratitude for the grace of the Lord has given you. Hear the word of your Savior. And hear it every day. Rise up, my love, my fair one and come away. Away from ingratitude, away from despair, away from doubt. And take the fruit of faith and join in the song of your salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.